Well, good morning and welcome to Bankery Christian Fellowship Church. It's wonderful to have you here and my privilege to welcome you here. If we haven't met before, my name is Duncan and I serve as pastor here. And I do want to encourage you after the service today, there's tea and coffee. You'd be very welcome to stay behind and uh, it'd be lovely to get to know you. Uh, the church is a place where good news is proclaimed, good news about what God has done for us, His creatures. And the good news is that He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from our sins. And today, uh, throughout today, we are particularly going to be remembering how God's good news has not only come to us, but goes round the whole world. Because when we understand that Jesus has come to do an enormous work that stretches beyond me and us to every nation on earth, then we truly have another reason to worship God. So let me read a psalm which picks up on some of those themes. This is Psalm 98. Psalm 98. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. It's as if when the psalmist reflects on the scale of God's salvation that he pictures the entire creation, rivers, hills, they all join in in worship and praise to God. And that's what we want to do this morning, join in with praise to God for His great salvation. Well, please do take a seat and turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. We're going to read a few verses from Mark chapter 15. You'll find these verses printed in the church diary, um, but please do follow along with me and we'll take a few moments to just reflect on these verses. Mark chapter 15, we're reading from verse 33. This passage of Scripture brings us to the cross of Christ, and here we enter into this scene, and Christ is on the cross. Verse 33, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. Amen. This is the Word of God. The work of God, especially when we see it in Jesus, is full of profound paradoxes. A paradox is when two seemingly opposed or incompatible things exist together, yet both of them are true at the same time. So when we read about the life of Jesus, the King of Kings was a poor man of Galilee. These things don't seem to go together, do they? But they're both true. The creator of the universe found that his legs went from under him at the very prospect of his death on the cross. And what we've read together here in Mark 15 is another one. This is not a death like any other. Here we see Jesus on the cross suffering the sentence of death. But actually, we look at the powerful, life-giving death of Jesus. The powerful, life-giving death of Jesus. If you're outdoors, maybe, uh, maybe you've been on a long walk or maybe you've been out on the golf course and you've been out at that time when day turns to night and your eyes, they do an amazing job of adjusting to the reduced light. Even though darkness has begun to set in, you can still see pretty clearly, but it's darker than you think. If you were to step inside, even for a few seconds, into some artificial light and then step back out again, you would be amazed at how little you can see. It was darker than you realized. And it can be a bit like that when it comes to these verses. Because you see how verse 33, where we started, it opens with a description of darkness. Literal darkness fell on this scene of crucifixion, the sixth hour to the ninth hour, which is 12 noon till three o'clock. The brightest part of the day was shrouded in darkness for three hours. It's a supernatural occurrence. In the middle of the day, everything turns dark, but it's darker than you think. And I say that because of the words that Jesus speaks or cries out more literally. What Jesus says in verse 34, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is almost a commentary on the darkness. 
What we can see, obviously, is that when Jesus suffers on the cross, he suffers at the hands of men. The Jewish authorities have condemned him. The Roman soldiers have badly treated him, nailed him to a cross. But actually, in these words of Jesus, we see that his death involved so much more. It's darker than you think. Jesus' words tell us that here he is forsaken, not just by his fellow countrymen, but forsaken by God. This is the one who throughout the gospel would go off to a quiet place to pray to his Father. This is the one who had come to do the work of God, and yet now he finds himself forsaken. Back in chapter 10 of this gospel, Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus even then understood that his death would be in the place of others. And that's how we begin to see something of the depth of the darkness that falls on this scene. Because Jesus understood that for him to be a savior of rebellious sinners against God, he would need to endure at the hand of God whatever those rebellious sinners deserve. And that's what he does on the cross. The cry from Jesus, it comes from the cross where he hangs in shame, but there's a sense in which this cry from Jesus echoes up from the darkest hell. Because Jesus bears the penalty of sin on the cross. He endures the full wrath of God. This is more than just the end of Jesus' life. It's darker than you think. And then those gathered round, they think they have heard Jesus say the name Elijah. And it gives an opportunity for one last faithless response to Jesus. One final humiliation as they put the sour wine to his mouth. And it leads to one final cry from Jesus. And he submits to death. Finally, it's over. Nope. It's not the end. This is just the beginning. You see, the death of Jesus is darker than you think. But the death of Jesus reaches further than you think. And Mark shows us this by telling of something that happened at exactly that moment in another part of the city, at the temple. The temple, which was the place where God was worshipped. And at the heart of the temple was this most holy place where God dwelt in the temple. And it wasn't the case that you could just wander in there at will. Only the high priest once a year was allowed to enter into that room. And to remind you of that, there was a large curtain over the entranceway. And sewn into the curtain were these pictures of angels carrying swords. And it was simply a way of saying, keep out. Sinners dare not enter here. A reminder of how inaccessible God was 
because of human sin. And yet here at the moment when Jesus dies, that curtain, verse 38, that great keep out sign was destroyed, torn from top to bottom. Jesus' death had this remarkable reach into the temple where the curtain was ripped, but it goes further than you think. Jesus' death reaches even further than that because the curtain ripping was to say that this temple is now out of commission. It's no longer needed. It's no longer fit for purpose. Tear it down because Jesus shows us here through his death that it reaches into heaven itself and it makes the way to God open his ransom payment removes every barrier to someone knowing God. Mark opens this gospel by telling us who he believes Jesus is. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he proceeds to then show us Jesus' power and authority, authority over sickness, over evil spirits, over the natural world, over death. He has power to forgive sins. He, has, uh, he, has, he has the power to teach with authority. And as the gospel progresses, from time to time, Jesus gets identified so at Jesus' baptism, we're told that God the Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. There he is identified. At times when he meets someone who's possessed by an evil spirit, the evil spirit will cry out, calling Jesus the son of the most high God. They've spotted who he is. But everyone else seems to be slow, slow, slow to pick up on who this Jesus is. And that's surprising because you would think, wouldn't you, that feeding the 5,000 or calming the storm or raising a young girl back to life, that those would be the times when people would say, I see him. He's the Christ, the Son of God. But no. Jesus' identity seems to be most clearly displayed here. On this dark day. You see, Jesus' death is darker than you think. It reaches farther than you think. And it's more illuminating than you think. For many people, the death of Jesus in such a hideous way, crucified like a criminal, really made any claims for him to be the Son of God utterly implausible. There's no way the Son of God could ever endure that. But in fact, it's here that Jesus is finally recognized. Verse 39, the Roman centurion, he says, truly, this man was the Son of God. And what was it? What was it that convinced him? Seeing how he died. Seeing how he died. And that remains the same today. If you are going to see Jesus clearly and understand him, you need to see him die. 
To know him as Savior, you must see how he dies. You need to see the depth of darkness here. You need to see the reach of the effects of this scene and see that, in fact, it reaches you. That Jesus experienced the hell of God's judgment that he broke down every barrier that keeps sinners from God and that he accomplished it all through his death on the cross. And all of that is confirmed to us a couple of days later when he is raised again from the dead. It's an invitation to see and to believe, to trust that this Jesus really has done everything, everything that you need to be right with God. And it's this that the church has been commissioned by the Lord Jesus to carry to a lost world. It's significant that this first confession of faith in Jesus did not come from one of his disciples, did not come from one of the Jewish leaders, but came from a non-Jewish Roman soldier, a Gentile, and it's significant because right here at the foot of the cross is a foretaste of the great mission of Jesus Christ. He died so that people from every nation would come and bow before him, recognize him as son of God, trust in him, and find all of the benefits of his death on the cross here would be theirs. Just like we were singing it is joy to the world, to the whole world, that the Lord has come. And it falls to us, even a small church like ours, to grasp Jesus' worldwide vision for proclaiming Christ crucified, knowing that it's as people see that, the Lord opens their eyes to see the Son of God given for me. And what a privilege we've had to hear of people faithfully doing that in Malawi, a small country, and yet this is significant because this is what Jesus has died for and for the opportunity for us to partner with Caruso and with others to proclaim Christ crucified throughout the world. This is what we're here for. So maybe you're here today and uh, actually... Christ crucified has never actually been yours yet. You've not seen him clearly. You've not recognized that this is where he is most illuminated for us. Oh, don't leave this scene until you've made this same confession, that he is the Son of God, your Savior. And let's commit ourselves not to waver or to be ashamed to speak of Christ crucified because it's there he's most clearly seen. Amen.